Guys, I don't know how it is at your house, but at my house, <laughs> sometimes when we have people over, we, uh, we have a tendency to feel a need to clean, right? Make sure that we're a little bit more cleaner than we usually are, right? Make sure things are, are picked up a little bit more than they usually would be. Anybody else like that? Is that just me? Um, you know, sometimes though, if we're running short of time, I don't know, you guys don't do this, but we do this. If you're running short of time, sometimes we may sweep a little dirt under the rug. We may take those extra laundry baskets and throw in the bedroom and shut the door and shove some stuff in the closet, right? We, we try to give an appearance of things being clean, even though our house is still really a mess, <laughs> right? Is that just us? Uh, okay. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate you being honest this morning. At least somebody is, right? Well, today we're going to see that the same is true for a group called the Pharisees. You see, though they appeared to be pure and clean, they were really quite messy and unclean. They were concerned, though, with their outward appearance. They were concerned about how they appear to other people, but even though they were really dirty and dead on the inside, they had missed the point of all that God is the one who transforms us, and he doesn't start on the outside. He actually starts on the inside and works out. Last week, as we've been studying through Matthew, Jesus showed us the contrast between people who reject him and people who come to him. And one of those leads to judgment and death, while the other leads to rest and everlasting life. Well, the verses that we're going to be studying today in Matthew chapter 12, um, we're going to see today, we're going to learn a lot about people, but more importantly, we are going to learn a lot about Jesus, that he is the greater one, that God promised the sin, and that we can put our hope in him. He has come to transform us from the inside out. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Matthew, um, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. Um, you can take one to use today or take one home as a gift if you don't own one. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew's on the right side of your Bible in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to start there in verse 1 of Matthew 12. We'll also have it up here on the screen. But if you would, read along with me this morning. Matthew 12, verse 1. It says, at, this time, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and so they began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So let's pause here for just a moment, because I think there's a, a couple of important things for us to note, uh, things that may not be uh, as familiar to us in our culture. And the first of those is the word Sabbath, right? Uh, Sabbath was a specific day that uh, they referred to. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. It is Saturday. Uh, on the Sabbath, uh, in the Old Testament, God had commanded Israel to observe the Sabbath and to keep it holy, and they were to rest from all of the work. They were not to do any work that day. God said, keep the, the Sabbath holy, uh, rest and do no work. Now, for us today, it's important to note that this was a command for Israel. 
This is not a command that you and I as followers of Jesus are, uh, have to continue this day. Sunday does not replace the Old Testament day of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was on Saturday. Sunday has not replaced the Sabbath. The Sabbath, anyway, God gave to Israel for their benefit, right? Uh, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, is what Jesus said. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me, right? Just like with Israel, God wants us to work hard And God understands because he created us that we need rest. And he has even set the example for us in rest. God does not need to rest. He is all powerful. And yet, after creating the world in seven days, on the seventh day, God rested. He set an example for us in that. So, We are not commanded to keep the Sabbath like Israel was, right? But rest is still important. So we need to make sure that as we are working hard, we are also regularly taking time to rest and more importantly, taking time to focus on God. That's really what the Sabbath in the Old Testament was about anyway, okay? So again, It's not a command that we necessarily have to follow, but the idea of rest is important and we need to find regular times of rest, okay? So the Sabbath is the first thing. The second thing that we see in these two verses that may be unfamiliar to us is the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees uh, were a group of religious leaders in Judaism, okay? They were just part of the whole uh, leadership of Judaism. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees that made up the whole leadership of the people of Jerusalem. Now, the Pharisees, as we're going to see here in just a little bit, were uh, a legalistic group of people, a point that Jesus is actually getting ready to hit head on. God, see, God told Israel in the Old Testament that they were to not work on the Sabbath, okay, right? We already addressed that. But for the Pharisees, that wasn't good enough, You see, they needed to define what work meant, right? Uh, God telling them not to work wasn't enough. They needed to make sure they had all their rules laid out to define what work is. These are the type of people that can make a job out of taking a break from doing a job. Anybody else know anybody like that? All right. So they said, here are your 39 rules to not working. (laughs) They must have worked for the government or something. I don't know. So one of the things of their 39 rules for not working on the Sabbath was grinding grain and making bread. And so when they see Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain field and they see his disciples picking grain and eating it, the Pharisees lose their mind. They're working. They're broken the Sabbath, they said. But in reality, they hadn't broken the law of the Sabbath. They had only broken one of their rules the Pharisees made up about the Sabbath. And so Jesus responds to their accusations with reminding these Pharisees of three different things. First, Jesus reminds the Pharisees about their beloved King David. Maybe you're familiar with him. He's one of the most famous kings of the Old Testament. 
And he reminds them that King David and his men, when they were on the run for their lives from Saul, went into the temple and ate consecrated bread. Now, this bread was meant to be a sacrifice to God. And yet, because they didn't have any other food, they took it and ate. Jesus reminds them of that. And then second, Jesus reminds them that the priest continued to work on the Sabbath and yet are not guilty of breaking it. So they're upset because Jesus' disciples are picking grain and eating. And so Jesus reminds them of David. Jesus reminds them of the priest who work on the Sabbath and yet aren't guilty of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus was trying to help these Pharisees see the absurdity of their complaint. But then Jesus drops some truth on them. Look at verse 6 with me of Matthew 12. Jesus says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus says that something greater than the temple is here. And Jesus was talking about himself. Jesus is the son of God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath and he is greater than the temple. The greater one had come. But for the Pharisees, their hatred for Jesus and his disciples would soon move to contempt as they move from not just liking Jesus, but trying to kill Jesus. So Jesus and his disciples continue to head into the synagogue on the Sabbath and there, there just happens to be a man with a withered hand there. Now, we don't know if the Pharisees grabbed this guy and brought him into the synagogue so that he was there, or they're just using him as an opportunity. But either way, the Pharisees see this as a way that they can try to trap Jesus. They already don't like him, but now they're going to try to trap him. And they say, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath. This comes right on the heels of those questions and arguments about working on the Sabbath because of his disciples. Is it, is it lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath, they asked Jesus. But Jesus, knowing the, their intentions and showing the people that the Pharisees don't even really care about this man who has a withered hand, he says this to them in verse 11. Read along with me. If, if any of you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out. And it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Jesus turns to the crowd, but still is addressing these Pharisees. And he says, which of you, if you had a sheep that fell into a hole and it happened to be on a Sabbath would not reach down into that hole and lift up that sheep. 
None of you would, would let that sheep just suffer and die because it was the Sabbath. You would do good for that sheep. And all the Pharisees had to be kind of, kind of shaking in their boots a little bit here because he was right, you know? Was it technically working according to their 39 rules that they made for the Sabbath? Yes, but each and every one of them would have done good to rescue their sheep. And then he really gets to the heart of it and addresses how these Pharisees don't care anything about this guy. Jesus says, how much more valuable than a sheep is this guy, this man, is people standing here? How much more valuable is this guy? And then Jesus shows what the Pharisees didn't, that he cares about this man. He says, stretch out your hand. And immediately he was healed on the Sabbath. Jesus shows this man mercy, even though the Pharisees were just trying to use him. Jesus, though, can feel the heat getting turned up. Jesus can feel the pressure getting turned up and he realizes that the Pharisees' hatred for him is turning to plotting to kill him. But Jesus also knows that his time for his death is not yet come. And so even though he shows the rest of the crowd uh, mercy and compassion by healing all who were sick, he warns them to tell no one about him. He warns them to not tell anyone. And then Matthew really, really tells us by sharing from the book of Isaiah, shares with us how all of these things that Jesus had been doing, these teachings that he had been doing up to this point, the miracles, and now how he is saying that he is greater than the temple and that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, how all of these things are pointing us to Jesus being the Messiah, the greater one, the one that was promised to come. Look at verse 18. Matthew quotes from the prophet Isaiah and says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He, he, uh, he will not quarrel or cry out and no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Friends, Jesus, he is the chosen one that Isaiah was pointing to. Jesus has come and not only proclaimed, but also brought justice through to victory. Jesus has brought justice through to victory over sin and over death on the cross and through his resurrection. And friends, Jesus is the only one that we can hope in. Jesus is our only hope. Princess Leia had it wrong. It wasn't Obi-Wan. It's Jesus, okay? He is the greater one. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us about Jesus and how the Old Testament was pointing to him. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says the law, talking about the Old Testament, 
is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities of them. For this reason, it can never, again, talking about the Old Testament, the law, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the law can't make us holy. Okay, and we'll talk about why it can't in just a minute. Verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And then in verse 9, he set aside the first, talking about the, the law and the covenant, and established a new covenant, established the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Friends, the greater one has come. Jesus Christ. Jesus, through him, we have been made holy by his sacrifice of himself. The Old Testament is our teacher. It is our tutor. But it is only pointing us to our need of salvation and pointing us to our Savior himself. The law cannot save us, not because the law is broken or flawed, but because you and I are broken. You and I cannot keep the law perfectly, so the law cannot save us. But the law points us to our need for a Savior. And they point us forward to the Savior, to Jesus himself. Jesus said the law and the prophets testify about him. Jesus is the greater one. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the Messiah that came and sacrificed himself for you and for me. So what does that mean for us today, though? What does that mean that, that Jesus is greater than the temple and that, that Jesus is the, the Lord of the Sabbath? Well, friends, what that means for us today is that we have a choice. You see, like the Pharisees, we can miss who Jesus is. And we can miss what the law and the Old Testament and the commands were given for us, uh, for why they were given to us. And friends, if I'm honest with you, oftentimes we do. Friends, if I'm honest with us, oftentimes I do. It's easy for us, like the Pharisees, to look at our outward appearances and to think, man, you know what? I'm following the rules. If I can just follow the rules, then I will be okay. If I can change the outside, then somehow magically the inside will be changed. Or if I can get him or her to begin following the rules, then their hearts will be changed afterwards. But friends, this is not how it works at all. This is not how God works. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. 
This is not an excuse for us to sin. Paul says over and over again in the book of Romans, he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No. Shall shall we go on sinning because we are not under the law, but now under grace? And again, Paul says, no. This does not give us an excuse to sin, but like the Pharisees thought, we too can get things backwards. We often want to try to fix the outside, thinking that somehow it will change the inside later, but it won't. It's not how God works. In fact, when Samuel was getting ready to anoint David as the next king, Saul was still king, um, but God had rejected him and, and now had made David king. And he tells Samuel these words in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. He says, do not consider his, his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, talking about Saul. Saul was a man who was a head taller than everyone else in Israel. And he looked like, if you looked at a crowd and you just had to pick somebody to be king, it would have been Saul because he stood tall, he looked strong, all these things, right? But God says, don't look at outward appearances, I've rejected him. God continues to tell Samuel, the Lord does not look at things like the things that people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. Friends, God cares about, God looks at, and God transforms first our hearts. But once our hearts are being transformed, then the outside will follow. But when we try to do it the other way around and fix the outside before the inside is fixed, all we end up with is a group of Pharisees. All we end up with is becoming legalist. All we end up with is becoming whitewashed tombs. Yeah, we look clean and good on the outside, but on the inside we're full of dead bones. It has to start with our heart. And then our actions, our fruit will come from that. Doug Burrier said this, in the old life, we adjusted God's truths to us. That, that was the old us, okay? But as followers, we adjust who we are to God's truths. You see how that's backwards? You know, that's different from what we used to do. We adjust who we are to God's truth, not trying to adjust God's truth to who we are. We adjust our self-view to God's view of the new us and the new life that we have been given. Who we are in this world becomes transformed to look more and more like who we already are on the inside. When people follow God, they become something new. This simple, small truth that will change everything you do when you make disciples. You focus on who they are and who they are becoming instead of what they are doing or what they will do. You see, it's a slight difference, but it makes all the world all the world of difference. 
It starts with our hearts. But friends, if I'm honest with you, this is the hard part for us. Because if you're anything like me, you want to change people. I want to fix people. I want to make them right, right? I want to make them right. But you and I don't have the power, authority, nor is our job to change other people. We can't. Thomas, you can't. But praise God that the greater one has come. And Jesus does have the power and authority to change hearts, and he does. So maybe, maybe like me today, you've fallen for the Pharisee trap. Maybe with yourself, maybe even how you see other people. And if so, will you repent today? Will you stop trying to trust in your own abilities? Because that's really what that comes down to. You're trusting in your own ego that I, I can do this, I can accomplish this, I can mark off my box. Will you stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Jesus to transform the hearts of other people and to transform yours? A great place for us to start is in prayer. Will you begin praying, not that, that, that God would just change those other people, but would you pray that God would transform you and would transform those other people, not from the outside in, but from the inside out? Friends, Jesus has come to bring justice through to victory. Jesus took on judgment that you and I have earned on himself. Jesus was without sin, and yet he took on sin for you and for me. He has paid our bill in full. So friends, will you come today and put your hope in Jesus? Jesus is the greater one that the Old Testament was pointing us to. It was a shadow, but the realities have come. Jesus is the Messiah. He has come so that we could be made holy through his sacrifice. The Pharisees, they didn't want to accept him. But the question that you must answer today is will you, will you Accept that Jesus is the greater one, that he is the Messiah and the son of the living God. Will you pray with me today? Father, we thank you that even though so often our ego and our arrogance get in the way and our pride gets in the way and we think that it's all about us, Father, remind us, humble us, remind us that it's all about you and not about us. It's about what your son Jesus has done on our behalf, Father, for he is the greater one. He is greater than the temple. He is greater than the Sabbath. He is greater than everything because he has brought victory through to completion. Father, we thank you that we can hope in his name. 
Father, if there are those who are here who are far from you, would you, would you lead them to yourself today? Would you lead them to come and to die to themselves and to, to follow your son, Jesus? And for those of us who have, Father, would you, would you lead us to repentance when we have become like the Pharisees and become legalistic and become focused on outward appearances? And Father, help us to focus on what you focus on transformed heart. Father, we thank you that your son came and didn't just say that he was your son, but he proved it with the miracles that he performed. He proved it with his teaching. And Father, he proved it most of all that when he died, he didn't stay that way. But three days later, he arose and brought victory and hope over sin and death for us. And Father, for that, we praise you this morning. We praise you for the forgiveness that he has provided through his sacrifice. We ask all of this in his precious name.